So obviously want to get into this show coming up here at Pack Amp in uh, Costa Mesa and get into the new album and talk a little bit about the past. But we have to start with the newest addition to the band, Eric Gronwall. And I almost feel like there's a movie going to be coming with this whole story. It feels so like fictional about how this kid from Sweden gets into an American band like Skid Row and is fronting it. But you tell me the whole story of how that came to be. If you think it's fictional, you should be in the middle of it. <laughs> it's been crazy. And yes, it, it's you couldn't write this stuff. No. It, it really is phenomenal. Uh, it, it started quite some time ago. We became aware of Eric because we were familiar with his audition tape doing 18 in Life for the Swedish Idol show. And we were... I mean, obviously, we were really, really impressed and really humbled by that he would do that. And, and then found out that he won. And, and you know, we, we were admired from a distance. Time went on. And we were doing a tour in Europe. I think it was 2018, 2019. And his band Heat was one of the opening bands. So we heard him sing. We're like, man, that's right. That's that kid. Uh, he's great. And but it, very nice, you know, passing in the hall type of thing. And then a couple people had said to us, if you guys are ever looking for a singer, you got to check this dude, Eric, out. And so that stayed in the back of our minds. Then we uh, were made aware of, you know, fairly recently that he redid 18 in life again. And that was brought to our attention. And we were like, holy crap, like this dude is really, really great. And, you know, he's grown. And uh, then when things came to a point with our old singer Z, where it just was, I think it was obvious to everybody, uh, both sides, you know, band and, and Z, that uh, the time had come to, to part ways. We were left, obviously, with the question of, well, how are we going to complete this record that we recorded and uh, and how are we going to move forward? And Rachel was like, you remember that kid, Eric? I was like, yes, I do. And goes, Let's reach out to him and just say, hey, we we love your voice and we'd like you to sing on a track that we wrote. And so we sent him a track called The Gang's All Here, mm-hmm. which is oddly enough, is the title of our new record, and this is our first single. And he sent it back 24 hours later, and we were like, whoa. Like, this is something. Like, this is really something. Like, literally, in 24 hours, he was in Stockholm. And we're like, man, maybe we should send him a couple more tracks. And we did, and the same result came back. We were really, really taken aback and quite literally blown away. Uh, Not just the band, but our producer, Nick Raskulinitz, as well. And so we called him up and said, look, this is going to sound crazy, (laughs) but we have a record to finish. And we've got this residency coming up with the Scorpions in Las Vegas. Do you want to be in the band? And he said, yeah. And he's still in Stockholm. Now, mind you, this is all going on when we have yet to be in a room with him. Right. Which is just, I think about it now, and it's mind boggling. So we're (laughs) asking someone to join a band that we've never even had dinner with. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. You know, much, much less jammed with. And so something just feels really right about this right now. And so he ended up singing eight of the 10 songs for the record while he was in Sweden. He flew to the States on a Tuesday. I want to say it was uh, like March 20. 
I don't know, fifth or something like that. And or March twenty second. I met him in New York at the airport. We sat down and, and we talked and it was very strange because it was in a good way, because it was like we knew each other for ever for decades really personable really easy to get along with obviously a sweet guy it was kind of like i had my guard up because i'm like this is just way too simple (laughs) uh we get to las vegas everybody meets them everybody feels the same way we're all hanging out the next day was wednesday we went rehearsed for the first time it was excellent. Thursday, we rehearsed again. It was great. And it was good enough to where we go, you know what? We don't really need to rehearse tomorrow on Friday. And the first show was Saturday. So literally, it was four days from the time that we all met till our first show. Wow. <laughs> Insane, man. That doesn't happen. And, you know, it doesn't happen. It's shocking that you guys, you know, didn't audition, do auditions or anything. Like he was just a guy from the get go. Yeah, we didn't even think about it. Uh, it, it. I mean, well, we thought about it, but we only had one person in mind. I guess we kind of inherently knew that it was going to work out. I have no explanation for that other <laughs> than it's just serendipity working its magic. Blind faith. Yeah, I mean, it really was, to be honest, again. And, and for him, too, to be going, wow, okay, I've got this life that I've got going on in, in Sweden and my family and doing my thing. And now, all of a sudden, I'm going to fly to Las Vegas and meet people that I've never really met before and then jam in a room with them for a couple of days and then go out and play a residency opening up for the Scorpions. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? So, yeah, we were all we were all acting on blind face for sure. That's what I'm saying. It's a Disney movie in the making, dude. One day you're going to get to tell that story. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) curious, touching on the Scorpions residency, I mean, a dream come true for you, I'm sure, as a fan playing for them. And after all these years, you've been a musician for 30 plus years. Do you still learn or glean anything off of the Scorpions, whether it's, I don't know, playing or backstage or putting together a set? What do you get from those guys? I think that a lot of it is has always been their professionalism and their proficiency at their instruments. They are a machine. <laughs> and when they go out and play, they are meticulous uh, about every little detail of the music and the performance. And they've always been that way. We saw them for the first time, like up close, and uh, in August of 89, when we all did the Moscow Music Peace Festival together. Yes. And we were standing, we were standing on the side of the stage. And uh, to be quite honest, they were the best band on that bill. They just were incredible. And we learned so much about being professionals and being kind and being a, uh, a student of your instrument and of the business and making sure that the most important thing is going out and performing to the very best of your ability and succeeding in that every night. They just reiterated that through their actions and just them being them. And they were so gracious to us and, you know, always kind and, and no egos whatsoever. And, and just a lot of fun to be around. Mickey D is, he's a wonderful person to be around. They all are, but uh, I've, I've known, I think Mickey better than I, than I know the rest of the guys, so to speak, but uh, they're all just phenomenal people. Crazy to hear. I got to touch upon the point you made about them being the best band at the Moscow music peace festival, especially when you're, uh, you're, 
friend John Bon Jovi also played that show that same day. Crazy to hear that. And oh, they were, such there were so a, many great performances. There were so many great performances. Ozzy was great. I mean, Motley was excellent. And, and Bon Jovi were great, too. Cinderella was great. I thought we did really well. Uh, but I, I think that out of everybody, I think it was... Uh, I think it was the Scorpions that that kind of just stood just a little bit taller than the rest of us. I had joked earlier about that being the uh, the original live stream that Moscow Music Peace Festival. <laughs> <laughs> You're so it's so true. You're right. You're right. It really was. Yeah, I remember purchasing that as a kid and watching that at home and being all excited for it. And I think it came on at some odd time or whatever, but uh, that was the original live stream. Oh, it was, it was such an amazing event to be a part of. Uh, you know, a, a, a year earlier, you know, we were recording our, our, our first album in the middle of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, not even knowing what was going to happen, whether we'd sell one record or, you know, we'd be a, a one and done and we'd have to go back to our day jobs and had no idea. And then a year later, we're in communist Russia. <laughs> at the you know the tail end of the cold war and we're in the land that we were taught to hate yeah. growing up yeah you see those people there that were you know 75,000 people each day and just the fact that they were just they're all just wonderful and grateful that we were there and you could feel the politics changing directions like you you could you could sense like we were never over there when it was full blown communist regime in, in in its full power, like the seventies and the and the early eighties. But you you, you sensed a, a shift. Uh, people were had a, had a taste of freedom that day, or those two days, and it really it really was phenomenal to to see and and to take part in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Music changing the world as it does for us daily. And speaking of shows, we got you in our market in Southern California coming up here at the Pacific Amphitheater in Costa Mesa coming up on July 20th with you guys, of course, Warrant, Quiet Riot and Kip Winger doing a solo show. Southern California has always been great for us. We have so many great memories from uh, so many of the venues there. And so for us to be able to come back and play with a bunch of literally our friends, you know, like we're friends with all the, all the people on this bill. Uh, I, I think it's a great chance for everybody to come out and, and just celebrate, you know, music and, and rock and roll and, and life in general, be outdoors all day long, party and drink and having fun without any of the stuff that's going on in the world around us. And it's a great thing about, about our shows and when we're playing with, with the bands that we're playing with is that there's no divisiveness. It's all about unity and, and community. It's all about, you know, this celebration of, of uh, each other and life and brothers and sisters. And we're all in this together. And, and maybe that sounds cliche, but it's really, it is the truth that our job there is to entertain and to, put some smiles on people's faces and bring some joy to their lives and free of any political or, or, uh, you know, religious or, or barriers of, of any sort whatsoever. Uh, there is no politics in, in our audience for at least for that time that we're all playing. Escaping reality for a few hours. That's how I look at, at rock shows. Don't have to worry about anything in the world, whether it's politics, finance, whatever. You know, it all disappears for those few hours at a show. 
That's what yeah, it's all about. Yeah, that's the whole thing is, is, and maybe that, with any luck, maybe that carries over, you know, maybe that carries over uh, after people leave and that feeling, you know, carries over to the next day or the next week or whatever. For us, it's, it's, it's much of the same uh, for us. It's, we get to perform uh, for people who, who love our music and, and, and want to see the band. And, and that certainly doesn't, you know, get lost on us at all. We're, we're very, very humbled by that. At the end of the day, in its simplest form, we get to play music for a living. And the only reason why we get to do that is because people still want to hear those songs and still want to see the band. And that's the most amazing thing, that's the most amazing gift uh, that people could possibly bestow upon us. We've been around 36, 37 years. And the only reason why we're still able to do this is because of the people. We are filled with gratitude and we look forward to to playing every night. You know, a show like this is pretty special, though, because, again, you got four great artists and, uh, you know, everybody is is at the top of their game. And uh, I think it's a it's a great uh, a great day for for all the people that will be in the audience. I think uh, they'll walk away feeling like, yeah, you know what? That was awesome. I got my money's worth. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And, and speaking of, uh, you know, playing for music for a living, wanted to talk maybe if we could get into uh, the other thing that you do for a living, your management career. You're still managing DM, <laughs> correct? Yeah, I've been uh, I've been in the management game since around 2005, 2006, 2005, I think, actually. And it's just been one of those things that ever since I was uh, still in my teens and had decided that you know, music was going to be what I do in one way or another. Uh, I was always interested and fascinated with the business aspect of it. I've seen and have been part of getting taken advantage of in certain ways. The business can be a really rude awakening for a lot of artists, young and old. There's a lot of uh, ruthless people out there and a lot of uh, bottom feeders. So, I wanted to at least be educated. So if I was getting screwed over, at least I knew how I was getting screwed over. <laughs> and uh, and so that turned into me wanting to work with artists that I, well, it started out with artists that I was friends with because number one, I had great mentors, Doc and Scott McGee, both are, are, they're my brothers and, and I love them. They're my family and they've taught me and continual, continually teach me uh, about this business and how to deal with people sitting across the table from you or, you know, people that are on the other side of a, of a contract and a pencil and, you know, negotiations and things of that nature. And they really taught me so much. Uh, and, and without them, I, I wouldn't be doing that, the management aspect of my of my life. And also John Bon Jovi has been an amazing mentor. He's extremely knowledgeable, extremely well-read, and I can always count on him for an absolute honest opinion and advice. And so when I started, when I made the decision that I did want to pursue this, it was a no-brainer that I would do it underneath the umbrella of Doc and Scott's company, McGee Entertainment. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, Rex Brown from Pantera, who's been a friend since 1990, 1991, 
a dear friend had called me up and says, I hear you're working with Doc and Scott. I'm like, yeah, Down is going to get back together and start working on a new record. Do you want to be involved? I'm like, in what way? He goes to management. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, well, why? And I go, well, because we're friends. And I don't want anything to ever get in the way of our friendship. But then he goes, why don't you give Philip a call and talk to him? So I, I gave Phil Anselmo a call, who I, I, I've been very, very close with since, again, 1991, like my brother. And it had been a while since we had spoke, not for any other reason other than just life took us down two different paths. And so we talked for hours. It was nothing but comedy. And then he, <laughs> he after about two hours, he's like, I hear you're working with the McGee's. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, how is it? I go, it's great. I go, it's, it's great. I'm learning so much and I, I love everybody that works here and it's a really good company and obviously and, and so he's like, Well, why don't you manage us? And I said to Philip, I said the same thing. I go, dude, I I don't know. And he's like, well, What's the problem? I go, Because you guys are my friends and I love you guys. And the last thing that I would ever want would be that the music business somehow got in the way of our friendship. I said, But if we sit there and, and make a, an agreement with one another that we see the business getting in the way of our friendship, then we stop doing business together and keep the friendship. And so we all, the three of us, myself and Rex and Philip all agreed that that would be the way to do it. I think the one of the things that really, really sets our relationship apart from maybe other band management artist relations is the fact that we are such close friends and brothers and they know that I will always have their back no matter what. Even if it means me disagreeing with Scott and Doc about something, because at the end of the day, I'm a guitar player and I'm a songwriter in a band. So I get it. Mm -hmm. Like I get everything that they go through and will go through because I've been through it already as well. And so they, and they know that. And they know I can relate to them on the deepest of levels from that side of things. And as great as Doc and Scott are, there's going to be things that they don't understand that an artist might be going through in the middle of a 12-hour drive on a Tuesday night and they've been away from home for eight weeks. Right. How that might work into their psyche and, and possibly their decision-making. Because I've been down that road and go down that road with them as well continually, I get it and I can relate to that and then I can navigate that in such a way that maybe other people wouldn't be able to navigate because they've never been in that situation before from an artist's point of view. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So that's that's one of the reasons why it worked. Yeah, no, it makes makes perfect sense, and that's awesome to hear that they kind of courted you, and obviously you had a relationship with them. They opened up for you on the, the Slave to the Grind tour back in the day, and I was kind of curious with it being uh, Philip's birthday, actually, today that we're talking. Do you have any good old story about Philip you could share besides, besides that initial phone call? Any fun one that comes to mind? First of all, he might be the funniest human being I've ever met in my life. Our conversations last hours, with the exception of maybe 10 or 15 minutes of it, it's all comedy. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous, juvenile comedy that no one really gets except for him and I. That's what our conversations are. 10 minutes of business, two hours of, of ridiculousness. There was a, a time when Pantera, we were on tour with each other, 
and this is all the guys. It wasn't just Philip, but I'm sure he instigated it. We were playing a place called Hannibal, Missouri. The staging was a, literally a humongous slab of concrete uh, along a river with steel girders that were active to support any production that you might have. Our road crew had a, a tall, tall task. The front of the stage, first of all, the stage wasn't elevated. It was ground level, right. the slab of concrete. And the front of the stage was all sand. There was a barricade made of chicken wire. And it was just <laughs> one of those moments, one of those shows that you were like, oh, dear God, how did we get here? <laughs> and you know what? We probably had a hundred great shows and then this one show. <laughs> and so we're like, we just got to make the most of it. We pulled up probably around four o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon. And I already saw Phil in the parking lot with a Heineken in his hand. I'm like, oh boy, he didn't, didn't drink before a show. If he did, it was only one or two. He already had a, you know, a beer in his hand. I'm like, wow. So like, it's that bad, huh? He goes, wait till you see it. So long story short, they played our set and they're great as always. We go on stage with pyro and stuff like that. We look right in front of us in the sand in front of the audience is the four members of Pantera on lounge chairs, like beach chairs <laughs> with a barbecue set up and they start lighting off fireworks and cooking hamburgers and hot dogs on the barbecue. <laughs> and this is right in front of us. Like the audience sees that and then the band. And it was unbelievable. Dimebag Daryl came on stage and taped a 7-Eleven Red Hot Beef and Bean Burrito to the headstock of my guitar. <laughs> they were lighting off bottle rockets and, and, and different types of fireworks throughout the show and literally cooking hamburgers and hot dogs and giving them to the fans. <laughs> so there's a case of, of, uh, of getting served lemons and making lemonade. It's funny how the bad shows are always the ones that you remember, you know, not the ones that go perfectly and flawlessly. It's always the bad ones that stand out that you remember. It really the is, man. And thankfully, you know what? Uh, we've been blessed enough that they, those shows are, are few and far between. <laughs> but we, you know, they had a way about them and still do, Rex and, and Philip, who just... Again, you take a bad situation, you just make the best out of it. And and it's all about, you know, it's all about the comedy. <laughs> and, it, you know, last thing on the management, b b besides Down, is there anyone else on your roster? I work with a kid by the name, a kid, I call him a kid because I'm an old man. But uh, I work with an artist by the name of Caleb Johnson, who, oddly enough, won American Idol. Uh, I think 2014, 2015. Right. And... He's uh, an amazing vocalist. He uh, has released a couple records on his own, uh, as well as he goes out and does a meatloaf, uh, a celebration of meatloaf and his music with meatloaf's band. Uh, and it was uh, supported by meatloaf. Like meatloaf kind of passed the baton to him. Uh, so he goes out and does that as well as go, goes out and does his solo stuff. And his name is Caleb Johnson, and he's a, just a wonderful, phenomenal person, hard worker, great vocalist, great artist. And uh, I think he's going to be, I don't want to say hugely successful, because that's, uh, I think, a very subjective term. But I... I, I 
I just think the world of him, and I think the everyone who hears this kid sing just falls in love with him. So I'm hoping that that spreads the world over. Yeah, I remember he was in Quiet Riot for a record for a minute or so, but I'm surprised you didn't consider. No, that was that was a different kid. That was uh, that was James Durbin. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry about that. Got that confused. Okay, no, it's all good. Yeah, that's right. He was the second rocker, the second rocker dude. I'm surprised you didn't uh, try Caleb for the the opening in Skid Row since you had the relationship with him. It's just one of those things where his voice is more suited for like a. I don't want to say a Southern flavored rock, but he's more in the lines of uh, like a Black Crows and and a Bob Seger and things of that nature. Gotcha. A little little bit more bluesy than than Skid Row is. Yes. Yes. Snake, I appreciate all the time. The last thing I got to hit you with, man, before I let you go, we're one of those old school radio stations. We do mandatory Metallica every night at 10 p.m., which you're going to be a part of. And always curious with you being a guitar player, did you uh, glean a little bit more off of Hammett or Hetfield? Any of them influence your playing? Hetfield, without a doubt. And it's funny you should say that because I have a warm-up playlist that I, I go through before every show and there's two Metallica songs I, I put on there to work out my right hand. And the first one is, uh, that was just your life and off death magnetic. And, and the second one is disposable heroes. Yeah. James's right hand. It's his right hand because that was something I, I didn't really develop as I was developing as a guitar player. It was more about my left hand than my right hand. And then when I started hearing his, how just efficient and precise he was with his rhythms. I was like, I've got to, I've got to develop that somehow. And he's, he's just the king of that. Him and guys like Scotty Ian, whom I, you know, I just, I think the world of, and uh, Dave Mustaine as well. uh, And Kerry King, without a doubt, they just have tremendous control over their, the synchronicity between their right and left hands and that right hand in particular. Yeah, that's what I hear from everybody. I played drums a little bit as a kid, but every guitarist I talk to, they always refer back to James's right hand. It's funny. It's insane. To me, he's he's one of the most underrated guitar players because every guitar player will say that, but it's like the general public doesn't have the full appreciation of how just unbelievably over-the-top talented he is as a rhythm guitar player. Yeah, because we always think about the, you know, think the Kirk and the shredding and the wah pedal and all that, but it, it really comes down to that that right hand and writing those riffs because that's where the song starts. Oh, yeah. Kirk is amazing in his own right. James's right hand, and, and like you said, like the riffs that he, he writes utilizing that talent is pretty unbelievable. So I normally ask the, each guest to uh, pick a song, but I think you did. Well, you picked two, actually. Which one of the two should we rock for you? Or do you have something else in mind we could play for you on Mandatory Metallica? Oh, no, Disposable Heroes. It's, I think that's my all-time favorite Metallica song. Yeah, from the album of Perfection. I mean, their their masterpiece, Master of Puppets. Not a bad song on it. Just flawless. Oh, it's unreal. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much for the time. Pleasure talking to you. Big fan forever. And uh, best of luck with the new album and, and new singer. And we'll be rocking the new tune for you. Thank you so very much, Mike. I appreciate your time. Have a great day and best of luck out there on the road. Safe travels. All right, buddy. You too. 
Dude, you absolutely rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire interview. Now just hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, Radioactive Mike Z. My interviews in their entirety. Available on all the major platforms. Tune in, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to right now. Just hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give me a follow on the socials as well. I'll follow you back at MikeZ967. And bro, don't miss the radio show. Now 10 p.m to midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in the Southern California Inland Empire area, Riverside, San Bernardino County. Always streaming online at kcalfm.com. You, my friend, absolutely rock.